0: Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. So if a cow doesn't produce milk, is it a milk dud or an utter failure? <laughs> you know, I took a picture of rice the other day, but I had to delete it. It was just too grainy. <laughs> now, we, we've been in a sermon series where we're talking about words that define the nature and character of God. We started with good, defining God as good and that only God is good. And Jesus said, uh, why do you call me good? You call me God? I thought that was, I love that. Then there was, we talked about truth, how Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And one of the things we learned from truth, which will specifically play into our topic today, is this, is that truth is not something that is 99% true. Truth is either 100% true or it's not true. Uh, What Satan did in the Garden of Eden is he mixed a little truth with a little bit of, uh, the. he mixed the truth with a little bit of lie, and he wound up destroying uh two people and eventually us so 99 percent truths are not real truths so god is the god of all truth the third we talked about was hope and how god is the god of hope then we talked about love how god is a god of love and remember we define love not as something that you feel but as a commitment and loyalty to the best for the person that you love or the object that you love not good they're best And then holy, we talked about how God is holy, separate, and other. And that's probably my favorite sermon of the series. And then power, we talked about how God has unlimited and matched power. And today, we want to cover a word, but before I give you what the word is, I want to create some tension in the room around the power of words. I'm going to say three words. The three words I'm going to say are going to change the dynamic of this room. Black. Lives matter. Now, would any of us say that black lives don't matter, that they're disposable, they're worthless? But there's a political nature of those words that's drifted into our culture in the last year or so. Yesterday, I was teaching uh, some ministers, and, and there were three black ladies in our group, and so I just, you know, used them as a little bit of prep for my sermon, and I asked them what they thought about those three words, and And they express some discomfort with what those words have come to mean. So a simple phrase brings tension regarding justice and injustice. So the day I saw, it was May 27th, I woke up in the morning and I saw the video of Derek Chauvin with his knee on the neck. Of George Floyd and I posted on Facebook that morning this is what I posted there is no excuse for what happened to George Floyd my heart is broken for him and his family my anger calls for justice but since I am not God I won't assign motives but what I saw in the video was wrong Amos 524 this past week a jury handed down the sentence of murder to Derek Chauvin for what he did to George Floyd. And then I heard people celebrating the fact that Chauvin was guilty, as if it brought justice. And I question one thing, no matter what happens to Derek Chauvin, Derek or George Floyd is still dead. So justice is incomplete no matter how we respond. This past week, there was a 16-year-old girl shot in Columbus. She was swinging a knife at another girl. An officer shot her. Was the officer justified in his shoot? Did he even consider for a second the color of her skin? What would have happened? If he hadn't shot her, would nothing have happened or would there have been a murdered girl? See, these are questions that cause us tension. And I wanted to talk about this, but I didn't want to go too deep. So I stopped it there, considered developing this more and using more talking points, but it wouldn't advance my point. So I want to talk to us about justice from a biblical point of view. So let me give you my point. Number one, justice and injustice is a regular part of our lives every person that we've talked about and every one of us holds a narrative of every story of justice or injustice and these narratives are always based on partial facts partial facts that's why I asked the question of did the police officer even consider the color of their skin what would have happened if he hadn't acted in Columbus this week you don't know I don't know so our longing for justice can never fully be satisfied on this earth it's in every single courthouse around the nation it's an image somehow that looks like this. It's the image of Lady Liberty, or Lady Justice. And she's recognized by the sword in her hand to mete out punishment on those who have broken the law, and by the scales in her hand that weighs the truths of one side versus the truths of the other side. But every one of these has a blindfold on Lady Justice. And I understand why it's there. It's meant to be a statement that a person is not to be judged according to how they appear, but according to the facts presented in the case. So there's no prejudice in the view of the parties. But the problem is, is that Lady Justice has a blindfold on. So therefore, Lady Justice can never truly know all the facts because there's only one in all of creation who doesn't wear a blindfold, and that is God Almighty. All the rest of us have filters and blindfolds. And that leads us to our text today. So when we move from the discussion of our longing for justice to what the scripture says about justice, I'd like for us to embrace Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse four, and I'd like you to stand your feet in honor of God's word. I thought of several different verses to give as a text here. Try to make these things easy for you. I want you to remember them. But uh, this one's a little longer. It says in the passage A faithful God who does no wrong. God does what? No wrong. No wrong. Upright and just is He. So we're going to use those last four words, or those last five words together. Can we say them together? upright and just is he could you say it one more time upright and just is he so father I pray that today that as we talk about justice that we would keep in mind that you are upright there is no sin in you there is there is no wrong there is no shadow of wrong for you are morally pure in all your ways O God And because you are morally pure in all your ways, you are upright, and that allows you to be just. We thank you, God, that we can trust a God who is morally pure in all his ways and all his thoughts, but yet is completely filled with understanding regarding all of our ways and our thoughts. And we thank you that we can trust your justice. Amen. Now, before you're seated, would you turn and give somebody a big smile today? Everybody needs a smile when you come to church. If you're online, here's a smile for you. There you go. So three statements I want to make about justice today is, number one, God is the only source of true justice. God is the only source of true justice. Scripture reveals language that declares God's nature is to be just. His nature is justice. 2 Thessalonians 1.6 says, God is just. Now, why is God able to be just? I think, I think we can memorize this together, right? Can we memorize it together? This is really difficult. Y'all ready? God is just. Could you say that with me? God is just. So, who is the only just being in all of the universe? Well, God is. How is God able to be just he is the only source of true justice because in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 it says nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight so everything in God's creation is revealed to him everything is revealed nothing is hidden from God he is not like Lady Justice he is just on all fronts everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account now, some things, some statements about this. God's justice and his ability to see. God sees and understands everything. So he sees everything. He sees your past. He sees your future. He sees the attitudes and motives of your heart. He is not limited by time, so past, present, and future, and is in his eternal present. He sees and understands why you do things. What are the motives behind what you do? He also sees all the facts, not just part of the facts. Is anybody like me that my wife goes to yell at me occasionally and I, you know, why did you do that? And I'm like, well, because, and I tell her about 90% of the story, not the 10% that incriminates me. (laughs) Anybody ever been there? notice how we do that we do that all the time when we're telling stories we tell most of the story but not all of it because there are parts of the story that do incriminate our motives and that's part of the problem with the justice system and that's part of the problem with our longing for justice is that we are even hiding some of our own motives while we're calling out god for injustice and god knows also you ready for this the intentional and the unintentional outcomes of every situation. God knows the intentional and the unintentional outcomes. All right. So story about how God knows what the outcomes are going to be. There was a guy named Joseph. You might've heard of this guy, right? Joseph was his dad's favorite son because it was born to the wife he loved. So Joseph gets a special coat, Dad buys him a special outfit. It's a coat of many colors. Y'all remember that story? So he's special. He's got all these 10 other brothers. And these 10 other he had another one later, but we're we'll, not talking about him. But the 10 other brothers, they're out in the field. And, and Joseph had had a dream. And he told them, I saw all my brothers and the stars bowing down to me. So he goes out to the field one day wearing a special coat to check up on his brothers. He says, what are you guys doing? And they said, well, here comes that dreamer. So they took him and they took his special coat and they tore it and they put some blood from a goat on it and they threw him in a pit. And when some Midianites came by, they sold their own brother in slavery to the Midianites. Now, how many of you think that Joseph in that moment had a right to crave for justice? He went from the favored son to the son who was now a slave being told what to do and pushed around with all the slavery. He arrives in Egypt, and as a slave in Egypt, he uh, spends some time taking care of his master's house. Then one day, the master's wife comes to him and says, come to bed with me, and he runs away, once again leaving his coat. There's the lesson Joseph should learn is be careful what clothing you wear. Anyway, he leaves his coat, and Potiphar winds up throwing him in prison And all he did was the right and moral thing, and he goes to prison. So now Joseph has done the right thing over and over and over again, but he keeps getting unjust and painful things happen to him because of his moral compass. How many of you think that's enough to make him mad? Would you be upset about that if you were sold as a slave and then you were thrown in prison for doing the right thing? So he's mad. It's unjust. Things are wrong. And then through a series of dreams God elevates Joseph to the second most powerful person in all of Egypt and he now has control over a famine that's coming and he stores up food and in the storing up of the food when the famine hits people become come from all around to buy from Joseph and his brothers actually come to buy grain the very ones that sold him into slavery now are kneeling before Joseph and Joseph now has the power to enslave them For what they did to him but what does he do he says this you intended to harm me but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives so although Joseph had the right To want to enact justice on his brothers and the power to make it happen he chose instead the path of mercy and restoration second thing we need to know about justice is God acts according to true justice God acts according to true justice now, sometimes we question the statement. Anybody ever been in a situation you're like, God, if you were really powerful, you'd do something about this. Now, maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe you don't want it to happen to you. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe, I don't know, maybe you had somebody you love die way too young. And you're mad at God for God not acting properly. I want to tell you you're in you're in great ground. You're you're in good company. You know why? People throughout the Bible have asked those questions of God and gotten mad at God, and God doesn't have a problem with you getting mad. He has a problem if when he's trying to help you work through the answer you don't listen. But he doesn't have any problem with you getting mad at him and asking him. So anyway, in the book of Job, there's a guy, if you've ever read Job, Job lost a lot, right? And one day he lost, you know, his family and he lost his kids and he lost his wealth. And he, then he wound up losing his health and he's, you know, scraping his sores and he's just not a happy guy. And, and he accused God in Job chapter 27, he says, uh, as surely as God lives, who has denied me justice. So he's complaining at God about a lack of justice. So God answered him. How did God answer him? Did God explain everything that was going on? No, God said this. It's in Job 38 verses one through four and the next several chapters are really great. He says, when the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm and he said, who's this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I'm gonna ask you some questions and you're gonna answer me. You're talking to me about my justice? Let me ask you a few questions. So where were you when I created the world? Surely you were there. Surely you told me how to do it. Oh, where were you when I made goats give birth on the hills and sheep? And Where were you when you know, I created like the alligators and rhinoceros or dinosaurs or whatever they are? Where were you? Surely you understand how the stars all got there. Tell me, how does rain form in the clouds? How does a baby form in his mother's womb? Come on, Job, talk to me. Give me all the details. You're so smart, you wanna question me? Give me those answers. And Job says, I don't know. And he says, I've heard of you with the hearing of the ear. But now I've seen you with my own eyes. My heart's been open. And therefore, I repent in dust and ashes. You see, what happened is this, is God asked Job, you want to question me about my justice? Do you know what I know? And if you don't know what God knows, there comes a point you have to trust him And you need to submit your life to his understanding. There's a second guy that questioned. His name was Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I love Jeremiah. This is my second favorite verse in the Bible on justice. This is number two right here. And I remember this years ago, I was reading it and I was arguing with God about some injustice in my life. And I said, it's Jeremiah 12.1. You are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak to you about your justice. Come on, anybody ever get that attitude when you're praying? If you don't, you might not be praying because you haven't wrestled through the pain in your own heart unless you're willing to talk to God about the pain in your heart. Yeah. So here he is, he's saying, God, I'm going to talk to you about your justice. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do they live at ease and I have to suffer? I get thrown in wells, I get mistreated, I get chased everywhere. This isn't right, God. Why do I have such a bad life and they get it good? Nobody's ever prayed like that, have you? So what's God's answer? I love his answer, it's down in verse five. You ready? If you've raced with men on foot and have borne you out, how can you compete against horses? And if you stumble in a safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? What? that's God's answer. God, you're not just. Well, if you've run with men and you're not one, how are you going to beat a horse? What does that mean? Come on. Anybody ever, everybody ever hear God talk in the Bible and you're like, I have no idea what he just said. Yeah. Well, what does this mean? It means this. You can't take care of beating a person in a foot race. How are you going to beat a horse? And when you're walking on flat level ground, you stumble and fall. How are you going to handle the really rough places to walk? Hey, Job, or I'm sorry, hey, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you're talking to me about my justice, but you can't take care of your own world. Why are you going to try to take care of mine? You can't handle your own attitudes. How are you going to deal with everybody else's attitudes? Y'all awake? Third one's Habakkuk. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen to me or cry out violence. You do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? You aren't right. You're making me live this unjust life. And what's God's answer? Look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I told you. And then he says this. I am raising up the Babylonians. And we know what the Babylonians did. They destroyed all of the people of Israel and destroyed Israel and took them captive. Do you know what God's saying there? You're talking to me about my justice, but you're not going to like the measures I've got to take to fix it. Some of you complain about God's justice, but you really don't want to know what he's going to have to do to fix it. The problems that you have because we have a limited understanding of our actions and what experience would you be willing to spend 21 years as a slave or a prison so you can save other people well, That just seems to be so unjust well maybe God's got a plan that you're upon in the plan accomplishing his great purposes Would you be all right if your life was lived nothing more than something to make everybody else's life better? Now, before you get saved, God loves you and he wants you and he's seeking you. But after you give him your life, then he gets to use you however is best for accomplishing his purposes. So why do we long for justice? Why do we do anybody in the room ever said something like that's not fair? That's just not fair. Where, where did you get the idea that life is to be fair do you get it from nature let me see a female praying mantis kills her partner after mating is that just I would be dead by now one baby that's it out you know how about the lion the lion who sneaks up on the the cute little gazelle that just gave birth and when the cute little baby drops baby gazelle drops out the lion goes over and eats the baby gazelle is that lion wondering why am i so unjust (laughs) how about twin baby pandas you know if a panda actually has twins if that actually happens every single time the mother will take one and let the other one go away and starve. Push the other one out and starve the other baby to death. One baby they take care of, the other they don't. Do you think that panda has a moral dilemma about about that? Why then do you have moral dilemmas? What's different about you than praying mantises or pandas or lions? You are made in the image of God. And because you are made in the image of God, You struggle with matters of justice because there is a seed of godliness in you that God put in you a hunger for justice And the simple fact that you want it is a recognition that God has a part of his image placed in you But that image is broken because we live it from a sinful point of view Because our longing for justice Always is justice for me Not justice for you Let's say I really, really, me and Carl Etheridge, Pastor Carl, we got in a fight. Let's say we got in a fight and I'm 70% wrong and 90, (laughs) smart aleck. See, here we go. This is how it goes. Anyway, let's say I'm 90% wrong and he really comes back with me and he calls me a, a stupid bully who pushes people around or something and I get my feelings hurt. Do you know what I want? I want justice on him you know what I'm not praying that day in my prayers oh God give me justice for me being wrong when was the last time you ever demanded God be just to you for your wrongs that's never happened see that's the brokenness of sins nature because God wants justice for all his children And if God truly gave the world what his justice required, we'd all be destroyed. But God chose to withhold his just judgment to offer us compassion. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, the scripture says, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. Why will God show you compassion? For the Lord is a God of justice. God wants to give you compassion because he is a God of justice. This doesn't make sense until we understand it in light of Romans chapter 3, verse 26. God offered Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins upon the cross. He let Jesus die, and he did this to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just, to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So what God did in that moment was he fixed the injustice of the world by suffering the injustice for us so that he can bring us into his compassion and mercy because he has paid the penalty for our injustice. So God doesn't give you what you deserve. He gives you justification from Jesus instead of paying you injustice for your sins. So, what does this mean for those of us that are believers in Jesus? It means that we Christians are to be agents of true justice. We, as followers of Jesus, are to be agents of true justice. I, I hear people all the time talking about the injustice in the world while we haven't fixed the injustice in our world quit trying to fix the injustice in culture until you have looked eyeball to eyeball with the injustice in your own heart zechariah 7 9 says this is what the lord almighty says administer true justice how do you administer true justice you show mercy and compassion Even when you're wronged, even when you don't understand, even when you're the one that suffers the injustice. So there are three requirements for us to live a life of justice. Number one, we must diligently seek the truth. We must diligently seek the truth. Now, remember, truth is God's nature. And when you find truth, you find God. But most of us live with some shadow of lie. There is absolute truth. That absolute truth is God's view on things. Are you getting this? Because God sees and knows and understands everything. God is the only one that has absolute truth. And he wants us to make judgments based on truth, not upon my narrative, not upon my partial truth, or it's my truth, I'm so sick of people saying, well, it's my truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. No, you don't. You have your version of truth. But there is only one truth. I mean, if only there was some place that God revealed to us what real truth was so we could like know what the real truth is. I'm just wondering if there was any place that God would tell us what his real truth is so we could cling to that instead of culture's truth. Oh, maybe there is a way. Maybe we need to wrestle with these verses we don't understand until we embrace his truth. By the way, I'm going to stand on this. There is such a thing as absolute truth. Because truth by its very nature is absolute truth. And I'm going to stand and I'm going to live my life that God's absolute truth is revealed in these scriptures. And if you don't like that, deal with it because I'm going to love you anyway. And yes, I am trying to convert you to my way of thinking because you're wrong. It's not mean for me to say that. If you're in a house and your house is burning down, I'm not going to stand at the front door and say, wow, I wish somebody would do something to tell them that their house is burning. It is my job to invade your space to share with you that there is truth that your house is burning and you're going to die that is loving that is not hate-filled that is actually loving and I know our culture says will you live your truth I'll live mine don't let them cross listen I can't help it that you're wrong I'm going to try to convince you there is a better way because I love you and I want God's best for you, not your version of best, but God's version of best. Second thing is we must make judgments about what is right and wrong. You know, justice is unnecessary if every action is appropriate. I love this. People who say, there's no such thing as moral truth. But yet they'll turn around and say, "I demand justice." Well, why would you ever demand justice if there's no truth about what is right and what is wrong? If nothing's out of bounds, then everything is permissible, and you're just one of those little baby gazelles that got ate today. We must as believers make judgments about what is right and wrong, and I bring this back up again. I was watching a baseball game the other day, and there was this guy, he bunted the ball. So he laid down the bunt. And then he started running to first base. And as he's running to first base, the catcher comes over, picks up the ball, throws to first, but as the runner is running down the baseline, he goes outside of, do you know there's a running zone? There's a zone they're allowed to run in and they aren't allowed to run inside the field of play. They can't cross the fair foul line. He ran into the fair zone and the ball hit him on the arm. And when the ball hit him on the arm, he was in the fair zone. And even though he made it to first base without being tagged or the catch or whatever, he was called out. Why was he called out? Because he broke the boundaries of the game. That just, that umpire was not unjust for calling him out. He was operating within the rules of the game. And only if God would reveal to us somewhere what the rules of the game are. Thirdly, oh, 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 one more thing. Those of you don't judge, you've got no right to judge me. I want to reveal to you 1 Corinthians 2.15. The person with the spirits make judgment about all things. The person with the spirit, what does they do? They make judgments about how much? All things, everything. We have to make judgments to figure out what justice is requiring. And, but that leads us to point number three here. What, what, what is God's desire for Christians? we diligently seek the truth we make judgments about right is wrong but our motivation is always mercy see what god desires is for every person in this world to live in his best and what god desires is for every person in this world to live in a relationship with him And what God desires is even the people who are broken and suffering because of injustice to be brought into his justice, his mercy, and his love. And God even desires that those of us who are unjust in our own actions, he wants us to be brought into his restoration, mercy, and love. Why? James 2.13 says it best. Mercy triumphs over judgment. All right, so I'll close with a little story. I've told you guys about how my family's loved to fish, right? My family, they were all fishermen, they loved it. And we, we had these little bitty boats. And then early on in my, my childhood, my dad and, well, it was around my teenage years, my dad and I and my brother, we started going out mowing yards. And when we would mow yards, we would take all the money we made from the yards and we'd put them in a bank account. And then in the winter, when it was too cold to mow and no grass was growing, we would cut wood and we would cut firewood and deliver it. And we would take all the money from the firewood and we put it in a bank account. When that money got several thousand dollars, I think it was about $6,000, we went and bought, we're talking 70s people, this was $6,000, a lot of money. We went and bought a bass boat. Now we'd always had these little boats, but we got a bass boat. And this was my dad's pride and joy, his little bass boat. It was a 17 foot, foot fiberglass bass boat, had a 70 horsepower Johnson motor on it. So we could, we could not only fish out of it and go up and down the streams, but we also water skied in the summer. And this was what we did every Saturday, just about. And we would go out and then dad would say, load up, we're going back for church on Sunday. But Saturdays we were on the lake, it was always what we did. And my dad loved that boat. I just hit puberty and I'd shot up and I'd groan and I'm not gonna give you the things that were going on that day, but I gave you enough for you to understand a little bit of what was happening that day. Me and my brother and two other people, we went out for a, a water skiing day one summer. We're at the lake and we're water skiing and some things were going on that caused me not to pay attention to what I was doing. And as I'm driving the boat, I'm looking around and all the other things that's going on and my brother all of a sudden starts whistling, he's water skiing and uh, he starts whistling at me and saying like this and I'm like, "What? what's he trying to get my attention for? And, and then he takes the, the rope and throws it in the air and so I shut down the engine and I go to turn the wheel and as soon as I pulled the engine back, wham, we hit a buoy. I don't know if you've ever hit one of the buoys but a fiberglass boat doing 30 to 35 mile an hour hitting a buoy i had a hole this big in the front of our boat this was my dad's pride and joy his boat our family entertainment we ran it really slow got it back with its nose up in the air put it on the trailer drove it home pulled it into its spot with its nose sticking out and i know dad's gonna arrive home from work real soon And I'm sitting there looking at this boat with a big hole in the front knowing this is my dad's pride and joy. And I know enough about my dad that you don't hide in those moments. It's better to look him in the eye and face it than it is to run. So I'm standing by the door waiting for him to pull in from work. He pulls in from work, he gets out of his truck, he walks straight to the boat. I come out of the door and I meet him and when I look at him his face is 15 shades of red and I know I'm about to die what happened he said I said well I hit a buoy he said you did what I said dad I ran into a buoy his face turned two more shades of red and I thought I was gonna watch the pop of his head just explode off of him and my dad turned it looked at me and I knew I was about to face the end of my life and my dad says well I guess we're going to have to get it fixed. And he walked in the house. My dad died a few years ago. Until the day my dad died, we never talked about that ever again. We got the boat fixed. We used it There was a discoloration there, but every time I looked at the front of that boat or waxed that boat, I knew what I'd done. But my dad never brought it up again. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. 2,000 years ago on the cross, Jesus Christ looked down and saw the wreck we had made of us. And he took upon himself our sins he said to you and I we got to get this fixed and he died to pay the price so that you and I we don't have to live covered by our injustice anymore we can live in his freedom and that my friends is the heart of the gospel message do you want God's freedom or do you want to continue living in your own struggle for justice. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads with me. You're in this room and today is the day for you to accept the justice and the mercy of God. Today is your day. I want you to lift your hand. I wanna pray with you right now around this room. Yes, yes, there are others, yes on this room. If you're online, text believe to those words on the screen. Yes, I see another one. Today, come on, God's mercy. He's going to take all those things, all those sins, all those wrongs you've done. And today, he's going to cover them with his mercy and his love and his forgiveness. Nobody prays alone at Harvest Ridge. Would you pray with me out loud, everyone, please? Dear Jesus, I don't deserve it but I receive your mercy. Thank you for giving me your life and for justifying me. I now receive it. My life is yours. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I believe Jesus Christ took it your word. You're going to be really lousy at being a sinner from now on. You're going to be really lousy at it. You're going to get in trouble where you never got in trouble before. Things that used to work for you aren't going to work anymore. Your life's going to be totally messed up now because God wants to put you on a path of following him and living in his best because God wants you to live in his justice and to show his justice to the world. That even though you may be right, you would rather have relationships and to prove your rightness. I don't think you heard me. You may even be right, but through Jesus, we want relationship to be restored and for life and hope first. That's who we are as followers of Jesus. Could you stand with me? We're going to sing this song. Actually, I see the kids. You all right if you sing it as we go? Sorry, I talked too long. I do this on a regular basis. If you want to stay and sing this song, you can. But if you want to go get your kids, our nursery workers and kids' workers would probably appreciate that. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And may we walk out, Micah too, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Amen.